Welcome to Pixel Pizza. Did she say pizza? Your ultimate source for chiptunes, video game talk, and pepperoni. Delivered to you from Los Angeles and into the digital cyberspace of the 2020s. Pizza Power! That's right, when Super Giant Pizza. I want a large, thick crust with double cheese, ham, pepperoni. Hey, where's my pizza? Pizza time.
Welcome, listeners, to another exciting episode of our podcast, Pixel Pizza. This week, we have started off with a song from our chiptune artist of the week, Noisica. And the track that you just heard is called My Little One. And now we are moving on to the interview segment of our show. And I have another very exciting guest I am speaking with. She has done a number of award-winning projects, and she is currently working with Sweet Baby Inc. on a number of exciting new ones. This is Paula Rogers. How are you doing, Paula? Hello. Hi. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I like to start my show with the question, when in your life did you know you wanted to work in games? Oh, that's that's a good question, because for me, it, it came very late. It wasn't really until I was working in games that, that oh, I wow. was like, this is pretty great. Because um, I had started working on Neocab, I guess, around 2017. And I just I loved that whole world. I loved the people I was meeting. I loved the creative thinking that entails like narrative branching and interactive storytelling um yeah so I kind of just I came to it at the end of I guess it, I, I came to it late <laughs> relatively late I never would have guessed I mean I've only admittedly played a little of it but the writing is just so it feels so natural to like what I would expect in a game in a good oh, way okay. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that yeah so how I did was... you oh sorry Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was pleased to see that a lot of the, you know, other writing I had done in other mediums, like in fiction and radio and TV and film, like those principles, the storytelling, selling the storytelling principles still carry over into games. So absolutely. So how did you sort of fall into it then? So I was in grad school here in Austin, Texas, where I live at UT. Um getting my MFA in screenwriting and um, my dear friend Vincent Perea who was the art director on Neocab reached out to me about the project put me in touch with the creative director Patrick and it just kind of went from there so it was a referral from a friend. Oh that's awesome as far as screenwriting were you doing any films or like student tv shows or anything? So I had done um I had worked on a show at a studio here in Austin called Rooster Teeth. It was oh, like sure. a yeah, <laughs> it's like kind of a late night style comedy show called What Do You Know? Um, which was a really weird concept, but fit really well into all the work I had done in my life so far. Uh, where they would take like a topic every night, every show is a different topic, and we would just do like a deep dive on that topic through like skits and trivia and there would be some comedians as the panel to like kind of riff on this topic so I was a writer's assistant on that and then I ended up writing the episode about ghosts and spirituality because that's right up my alley uh, and I got to write some of my little comedy bits and stuff so I had done I had done that and then um, I had some screenplays that were in some festivals um at that time yeah that's awesome would you say comedy was something that you know was always like a strong sensibility of yours or no <laughs> no um it's 
I find it a lot harder than dramatic writing. That show was the first like in earnest. This is comedy. We are trying to get laughs. Mm -hmm. And it was like a like a jokey joke forward type comedy, I'd say, Um, because it was that was kind of the shtick of the host. And it was like so like sketch driven and late night style. Um, But it was cool because there's something so vulnerable about writing comedy because you either get the laugh or you don't with drama you can tell yourself as a writer like well people it's resonating with them on a deep level through their silence you know um so with the show it was filmed in front of a, a live audience so I could tell immediately if a joke landed or not and that was terrifying but also really thrilling um, and you know, comedy is so much about timing and subtlety, and so it's it's a good skill to have. But I definitely find it more vulnerable and nerve wracking. Absolutely, yeah. I've done stand up before, and I know oh, yeah. when you're on the stage and you're delivering the joke, and that moment of before the laugh is there gonna be a laugh? There's so much trepidation. Yeah, you know exactly. Then. <laughs> I could, I don't think I could ever do that. Like just having someone else read my material and being like lurking in the shadows behind the audience (laughs) is enough for me. For sure. So yeah, then uh, what was your process like with Neocab? So that was a really unique game. Um, So... As the lead writer and story editor, I was in charge of all the usual stuff like story Bible, overall narrative, aligning the systems and the game design with the narrative, um, making sure everything like thematically was coherent. But also with Neocab, it was so much content because we had, you know, something like 20 characters. Um, besides our protagonist, uh, that you could meet at various points throughout the game in different installments multiple times. So it exponentially grows into, I think, 20, roughly times three, 60 little segments of story, uh, which is a lot to manage in between that, like, kind of interstitial, but not really because they're the, that's the A story, the kind of bigger moments of the story where you're telling we're telling the overarching like what Lena's really looking for what she's doing um in Los Ojos what's going on with Savvy and Capra that story so weaving all those elements together um was a was was quite an undertaking it's a very there's a lot of words in that game it's about the length of like two contemporary novels um so uh there was a lot to keep track of in my brain I felt like Lena really became um, a a person that lived in my head during that time. And the other challenge with the game was that we had, it was a single protagonist, first person character driven game, which is I think unusual in an interactive storytelling because of the inherent challenges of that. But then also we had a, a rotating team of writers, you know, throughout the like three ish years we were working on the project, we had you know maybe like nine or so writers kind of coming in and out um who were all remote who were all just working part-time um 
on pieces of the game. So it was really up to me to kind of stitch all of this together for consistency and and as best as I could really try to get the writers to align on the voices of the characters that they would all be working on together, even though they were never in the same room together. So everyone was writing Lena, but it had to make it sound I had to make it sound like one person had written her. She was consistent. And then some characters were created and written solely by one writer, um, but they might also have a character that's written by multiple writers because you see this character multiple times throughout the game. Um, so it was mm-hmm. a lot of just like really strict editorial uh, guidance that I had to give the writers as well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Doing a writer's room in person is tough and, and remotely, I can imagine it's it's even harder to communicate all that. It was it was challenging, but it was a lot of fun. It, I mean, I had the good fortune of working with some incredible people, some really kind, generous, and like very creative, interesting people. So I really loved working on it, and I loved all the ideas that people were bringing to the table. And I think that's one of the strengths of Neocab and why we structured it that way. So we wanted a diversity of voices and perspectives because in the game, you know, you're in this city, Los Ojos, which is supposed to be this huge, like futuristic mega city. So it has to feel like a lot of different people are getting into your cab authentically. Mm-hmm. And that can only come from a diverse writer's room. So that was really important to us. And I think it I think it was successful in that regard. Yeah, that's, and I think that ties into another question I wanted to ask, which is, you know, usually you you mentioned there are like 20 characters, and I would say usually in a video game, there may be like eight or nine characters with developed personalities and the rest are NPCs. So how do you make sure that you have these, this wide array of characters that are all so distinct? That's a great question. So we really did a spreadsheet of the characters. When I started on the game, we were thinking that there were going to be a hundred characters and you would only get to see them once. So it was very much more like a traditional kind of like open world NPC, like you're mentioning type of interaction. Um, But we realized that scope was out of control (laughs) because the art was so beautiful and Vincent did such an incredible job with the detail and the humanity that's expressed in these characters that to create that much original character art and character design with the subtleties of the animations that we needed because so much of the game is about reading your passengers emotions so their Mm -hmm. facial expressions are actually part of the game in a lot of ways are part of the system of the game that you have to make a monitor um so the detail of the art and animation that we needed was would not support that many other characters so we had to limit it but we had we like in a lot of game development, uh, we had to realize, we realized this midway through and we had already made, I think like 10 or 15 maybe. So it was a lot like Battlestar Galactica where it was like, <laughs> who are the final Cylons going to be? Who are our final characters going to be? What um, kind of demographics have we uh, covered already? What storylines have we covered already? 
And then knowing now we only really have the production space for like 10 more characters at this point, what stories do we really want to tell? And can we, can we shift any of the existing stories? Can't shift the art. Can we rewrite any of these characters to um, have more like diversity and cover more breadth in, in the stories and the sense of the city that we're trying to capture with them? Um, so we really just, at that point, we really kind of just looked at the numbers of like, okay, we have so many characters of this gender, this race, this character is thematically talking about you know, religion, this this character is thematically talking about love. And so we just listed like 20 themes that we wanted to explore in the future and just peg mm. those to a character. Yeah, it's, that's a really smart way of looking at it for sure. Thanks. Were there any themes that really resonated with you in particular? Uh, so I always go back to the the very first character that I created from scratch for the game uh, who is Fiona. Um, she is a character who is is wearing a, a a digital filter. We called it an animesh. And the idea is that it's kind of like uh, nanotechnology makeup that you can program to be like a Snapchat filter in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's meeting someone on a on a date in person for the first time that she's had a long online relationship with this with this guy, and she's very nervous. And you have to kind of talk. Your very first ride with her is about do you? She asks you about the filter, and we wanted it to be like a lot, like like not quite the level of like she has a rabbit face, but like mm -hmm. something where it's like you can't really. You, the real her real features are pretty heavily um masked and so do you tell her like you know what you should not be you should not wear the filter you should like go forward with your natural beauty or do you let her or tell her that she the filter is cool do you not care and she's very vulnerable and she gets into the into your cab so um that ride is really personal to me because Vincent and I worked really closely on together on the design of Fiona and the kind of cultural references especially to Asian culture and how femininity is represented in American and in Korean culture uh if we put into the design of the character are, are themes that I'm really interested in that are personal to me and then also just like dating culture in general and romantic comedies are just like a genre that I love so uh being able to talk about how dating is technology is making dating more terrible is something I will always always be willing to talk about oh yes I I can absolutely relate I was going to get to it later but I was reading through your webcomic blind data and I, I you know I do online dating which is what it's about for listeners and it's such an emotionally harrowing experience and I feel like you put it into words so well Thank you. I'm so I I'm really happy to hear that. And I also am like, I'm so sorry that we've all been through this. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm so sorry that like the sad everyone keeps being like, it's very painful. I'm like it it is. And and that was like my point in making the comic is like 
I had never, I, I don't, I still to this day don't know of something that everyone is using and also hates so much right? and finds so deeply painful, emotionally painful. Um, maybe Twitter, <laughs> but yeah, it's probably. like, it's not the same stakes even, you know? Um, and so I just, yeah, the whole the whole point of the comic is to kind of push back against this idea of like, well, this is online dating is just how it is. And it's the best way to go about things. And it's we're all just data now. And so it doesn't matter if our feelings get hurt or it shouldn't it shouldn't have a, an emotional cost to go on these dates because it's efficient and we should just let the apps do this. And it's fine because hmm. I don't I don't think it is. Yeah, no, there's so many unspoken things and so many situations you can't account for just by looking at it so it was very cathartic to read thank you I'm, I'm glad there will be more um I just have the first three released to try and kind of build an audience there are nine stories in total um and so I'll be releasing them over the next few weeks and just quickly too I want to like give a summary of the premise for your listeners too it's it's called blind data um but it's not and it's about online dating but it's not about like the horror stories of online dating that like we've all heard we've all had those kinds of like terrible terrible nightmare situations it's really about the fact that you know I had at this point in my life I've been doing online dating or I had been I'm kind of quit at this point but Mm -hmm. uh I've been doing it for like 10 years almost over 10 years and there were dates I had been on some of them 10 years ago one single date where I spent three hours with somebody in a coffee shop and yet I you know didn't come to anything wasn't bad wasn't good it just was and I still think about it 10 years later and I just want to talk and I don't know why and some of them I really don't know why and so I just wanted to start writing these down as a way of saying like even these little throwaway dates just a date it, it doesn't matter but it, it really does it makes a mark and I am a very sensitive person and I'm used to things affecting me more deeply than others mm-hmm. but I wanted to see if other people felt this way too that even like a simple first date can can really have meaning or impact in your life totally yeah I can relate to that uh, it, it feels like yeah most of them are just you know just okay, like, you know, I don't know. You, you again, you put it into words better than I do. <laughs> well, thank you for reading it. I appreciate Absolutely. That. Uh, so, yeah, I guess going back to some of your other work, you, I saw that you were a professor of interactive storytelling at the University of Texas in Austin. Yes. Uh, tell me about that. It sounds really cool. Yeah, it was great. Um, so for a year, I was a full-time professor on the faculty at UT Austin um, for the Arts Entertainment Technology Department in the School of Design and Creative Technology. Um, unfortunately, that was the year of the pandemic, first year oh. of the pandemic. So it was all online, um, which was very challenging. Um, but I taught... Uh, two semesters I taught total of six classes um, covering a lot of different things everything from just like intro to narrative design to story 
storytelling structure that you know was very familiar and very similar to screenwriting structure. Like I taught three act structure. We watched movies and talked about just storytelling principles in general. We we read short stories and and parts of novels. Um, and then I also taught uh, classes where you know we would I would assign them to make a a, a 80s arcade style version of a movie that they liked and like oh, how do you awesome. translate like you know a, a two-hour plot of a, a narrative driven piece into something that's so simple it's like a you know eight-bit style game that's really based on mechanics more than narrative how do you capture the essence of the narrative and that um it was a lot of it was a lot of fun um but ultimately I I missed my own work. I loved my students so much. I met some incredible people, even through the computer, mm -hmm. <laughs> who I, I was so deeply impressed by. Um, but I I just I missed I missed writing. Um, so I hope maybe someday to go back to teaching. Um, what were some of the most clever projects that your students came up with? Um, so I had some students, <laughs> I had an assignment where there was, uh, I, I, made, I made them do, I made them do, I, I forced them to create <laughs> an escape room plan um, and how, and like based on a, on a narrative of their choosing. Um, and I had a student create an escape room in an, in a Starbucks with this post-apocalyptic world where they were like dinosaur Karens had been turned into dinosaurs and they were like pressuring you to like make them frappuccinos to their very specific demands. It was really, really funny. Um, I had students do a, a version of Back to the Future as an 8-bit game. Uh, and a version of Secret Garden as an 8-bit game, which I thought was really lovely. I also assigned a project of doing a, a narrative PowerPoint and a student, her name is Vivian Lau. Uh, she did a PowerPoint about the myth of um, uh, Oedipus and her, wait, I'm getting this wrong. The, oh, I have to look this up. I'm sorry. Oedipus <laughs> and Jocasta? And Eurydice, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Orpheus. Orpheus, Orpheus. Yeah. Orpheus and Eurydice. Yeah. Um, yes, she did a PowerPoint on the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice that truly made me cry. It was so beautiful and it's a PowerPoint. Wow. I've never heard a PowerPoint make anyone cry. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was I was very inspired. I mean teaching is great, but it's also it's also like it's his own separate profession, its own separate career. Totally. Uh, what would you say are like one or two key like like touch points or lessons or like phrases you would remind to your students? Oh, I was always telling them the same thing over and over and it's one of the things I realized I had never taught writing so intensely so full-time it's like kind of like what I was saying in the beginning like 
even though you're in different mediums and you have to kind of adjust your approach to tailor it to your medium and to your audience, writing is writing and storytelling is storytelling. And so I was constantly saying things like, what does the character want? <laughs> your character has to have something that they they want that we're following um, throughout the story. And they also have, what does the character need? What do they need to learn in this story? What is their like character flaw? And then I was always talking about antagonists because young writers, a lot of writers, especially young writers, myself included, um, they, my cat has joined me. <laughs> young writers have trouble with antagonists because they're nice. They're nice people. And they have, they either create antagonists, they, they typically create antagonists that like aren't as bad as they could or should be. And, or they create an antagonist that's cartoonishly bad. So they're not actually that interesting or compelling. And an, an antagonist is really a, a dark mirror of the protagonist. Um, and they should be compelling and they should have an argument that makes sense if it were not so twisted. Um, like the Thanos is a perfect example of that. Oh, sure. Um, so like his methodology is quite bad, but he is, you could kind of, it wasn't so extreme. You could kind of see what he's trying to do and you can kind of almost sympathize with what he's trying to do. Um, so I was constantly talking about that. So those, those are my three writing gems. Character want. <laughs> uh, conflict. Always have conflict. A scene has to have something that comes out of the want. And then the protagonist-antagonist relationship. Yeah, that's, that's definitely... Uh, those are things that always stick out when I'm experiencing a story. So you can have those gems for free, <laughs> audience. <laughs> And so then how did you come to be involved with Sweet Baby? So uh, Kim Belair, who's the co-CEO and founder of Sweet Baby, um, I met her through Neocab. She was referred to us as a writer um, who had been at Ubisoft for a long time and had an incredibly impressive resume and list of games that she had worked on and was looking to kind of strike out on her own. And so we hired her as a contractor on Neocab and, you know, working with her was just an absolute dream. We did so much good work together on characters and uh, narrative um, design, narrative design in the game. And we just worked really well together. And then around that time, uh, she started her company, Sweet Baby. And when I left Neocab, they had some projects kind of waiting me so I just jumped right in at that point oh cool yeah that's that's great that you guys gelled together so well I feel very fortunate it's a wonderful company I know you're going to talk to Kim next and she can tell you much better than I can like the structure of Sweet Baby and her philosophy for the company but uh, as a person who is who is working there I can say like everything she says is true like it really does <laughs> feel like a very supportive creative environment and I'm really very fortunate to be there that's awesome to hear um 
Were you involved in their uh, project on the play date? Because that looked really interesting to me. I was not. No, that those are really cool, though. Okay, well, I'll speak to Kim about that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think now we should probably go to our musical break for the episode. This is about the halfway mark, I think. So this is from Noisica once again. This track is called Illusions of a Better World. So listen to that audience and we will be right back with Paula. Welcome back to Pixel Pizza. You just listened to the track Illusions of a Better World by Noisica. And now we are back with Paula of Sweet Baby. And I'd love if you could give me like kind of kind of a broad overview for our audience about what kind of 
projects you've been up to while you're there. Yeah. So, um, like I mentioned, I, I went into working for Sweet Baby, like right after Neocab launched in 2019. Um, the, one of the things about the games industry is that development cycles are really long. So mm-hmm. there's many projects that I've been working on for a few years that are either unannounced or have yet to actually ship uh, that are in the works. But I can speak you know, broadly to some of them. One project that I'm working on um, outside of Sweet Baby that I, I started before I joined the company is with uh, the artist and game developer, Nicole He. And it's a project with the National Film Board of Canada. Um, it'll be a browser-based game that we should be announcing pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been really a lot of fun and I love working with Nicole. Um, and then on the Sweet Baby side, you know, Sweet Baby, who works on a lot of projects you'll hear from Kim, the ones that I've I've touched, um, we have been working on a game with Insomniac. Um, that's been really fun, doing a lot of like world building. They're um, one of my favorite exciting. studios. Yeah, they're great. Mm-hmm. They're really, really great thinking there. And like the depth that they want uh, from us is really gratifying and cool to work on. Um, I'm working on the, uh, another game with Nicole uh, that'll be coming out from Nereal. Um, and then I did a little bit on Hyperlight Breaker um, and mostly just like story consulting on that game. And then Goodbye Volcano High. Uh, I was a lead writer on that for two years. And um, that's a project that has been announced obviously and will be coming out um soon and i'm excited to see the project when it's completed awesome uh i guess uh, follow-up question uh would you say what are some of the challenges with it sounds like you've had done a wide variety of projects have you felt like you've had to adjust your writing style at all to fit like different genres and such Yes, um, that's a great question. I definitely have. Um, another unannounced game I worked on uh, with Sweet Baby was about um, very broadly kind of like time jumping in aliens, tactical combat kind of stuff. Oh, wow. And that's not, <laughs> it's not the kind of game that I am super familiar with. Um and so doing the like world building and thinking for that, I mean, I love science fiction, um, but adjusting to, you know, that genre and what those players really want and what's fun for those players was, was new to me. Um, yeah. So, so that has been something, you know, there are so many different types of games out there uh, that you do have to have a pretty diverse style um, I think like I've written a couple of games that are geared to younger audiences, like a little bit older than young adults and from like book terms. So like late teens, early twenties. Um, and so I've had to write as teenagers actually, or as Gen Z a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Oh. Uh, so I've had to like, 
that was that was a challenge to kind of try and be cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to do your research on TikTok. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's grueling. I mean, I hours imagine. on TikTok. Uh, so are there any cases, I guess, maybe with that sci-fi one, was it non-linear storytelling? Um, it's kind of, it's still in development, so it kind of remains to be seen. Sure. TBD. Awesome. Um, let's see. What else? What is something about your personal process that nobody knows? Oh, um, I, I like to take a lot of naps. <laughs> um, I, I get my work done. I meet my deadlines, everyone. But I do like to take a nap most most days. That is a good question, meeting your deadlines. How do you schedule yourself as a writer? Um, so as a freelancer, when I was like purely freelance, and I was juggling a bunch of clients. And before I joined Sweet Baby full-time, it's much more challenging because I'd be working with people in different time zones. Um, but that kind of chaos works for me. And so it, it actually feels like more freedom and more um, manageable in a way for me personally to be like, I'm going to get my work done in the pockets of time between my life responsibilities when I can. So I know I have to meet this deadline by whatever date. I have five days to do it. In those five days, I also have to like go to the grocery store and go to my, you know, kickboxing classes and what to see my friends. So if I'm doing some of those things during the day and then working at night, that's fine with me. I, mm -hmm. I prefer to have that flexibility. So uh, I, I do have to kind of informally block off time in my schedule and be like, okay, you know, this next three hours, this is what I'm doing. Um, but for the most part, I, I kind of play it by ear as much as I can. But now that I'm Sweet Babies full time, you know, we have a much more reg uh, regimented schedule, regular schedule. So we have like our morning check-ins and then we have a lot of meetings during the day. So it is much more of like a nine to five type schedule, which is, which is fine. I still get mine. I still get my <laughs> naps. That's good. That's good. Uh, what would you say some of your hopes are for like the next year or so for what you're doing? Oh, um, well, I would love to see some of my projects be announced. <laughs> <laughs> there be real live games out in the world that would be really cool and um you mentioned the comic that i'm working on blind data um it's I'll, i'd like to finish that up it should it probably should be finished by the end of the year but we'll see you never know what life will throw at you um but uh working on that continuing you know the projects that i'm working on for, for sweet baby are pretty uh intensive projects and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna be involved in these developments for like the next couple of years. So um my my time is pretty locked down but it's very fulfilling. Uh so I kind of just want to keep on doing this. 
that's great. That's it sounds like you're really happy with what you're doing and that's super important. I am. Yeah, I I I I love visiting Montreal as where Sweet Baby is based, so I guess the goal would be spending more time up there. Oh yeah. I mean Austin, I've always heard it's such a great town. What's the game development scene like there? You know, I don't know. I just sit in my little room in my house <laughs> and I work for companies in Canada. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh. So I don't know too many people in the game dev scene here, but I know that there is one. Um, I don't know. It just worked out that way. I do like Austin, though. I, I do have like wonderful friends here. My family is in Texas. Uh, it's just, it's so hot. I know it's like, Yeah. Oh, I'm in LA. It's, it's yeah. so hot lately. Oh. <laughs> but it's it's on my list and like my top five places in the States I want to visit. It's worth it. Yeah, it's worth checking out for sure. So another thing that I noticed you mentioned previously is that you have uh, an affinity for ghost stories. Uh I was wondering, do you have one you could share with our audience? Ooh, yeah. Uh, I love I love ghost stories. Um, so let's see. I will. Yeah, there's. I will tell this one. So I many years ago, maybe like eight years ago, uh, I was on a business trip to a town outside Philadelphia and the agency is an ad agency that flew me out there at that time to like interview for a job and they put me up in this hotel I arrived really late so they just kind of like picked me up put me in the hotel and like see you in the morning I went to sleep I didn't really I could, I could see that like the hotel was kind of an older hotel but it was really dark I was tired so I went to sleep in the middle of the night I woke up and there was, it sounds, sounds wild, but there was a man in colonial garb what? standing at the foot of my bed watching me. And I could, I don't know if you've ever seen a ghost and I imagine they appear differently to different people. Um, but it was like, he wasn't like there, like fully there, like a, person would be like in all embodied and full color it was like it's like kind of like half figure mm. kind of kind of there kind of not but I could definitely see this figure and in my mind I was like oh yeah that's a ghost of course and I felt this overwhelming sense of just like he's protecting me he's he's watching this place and I went back to sleep, which is so unlike me <laughs> like in every way. As much as I love ghost stories, I've always been very, very um, easy to frighten and very easily spooked by them. So went back to sleep. And the next morning I went to the agency and they're like, hey, how did, how did you sleep last night? <laughs> it's like, uh, fine, weird question. And they're like, oh, because that yeah. hotel... It's one of the most haunted hotels in America. It was like uh dates back to the colonial era. It was wow. like, a, like a resting stop for soldiers. And I was like, great, cool, cool hotel choice. <laughs> and, yeah. 
so the following night I didn't sleep at all like even though my feeling with this spirit was like he's protecting me everything's fine and I was not scared at all in the moment it was too much for my little brain and the next night I like left all the lights on and barely slept I didn't see anything else Mm. Yeah, I, I can't think of any specific times that I have seen a ghost to answer your question. I mean, I guess I've heard noises or things I haven't been able to quite explain, but no, I'm still I'm still waiting for that moment where I have a close encounter. Uh, so... This is the Pixel Pizza Podcast. Where is your favorite pizza place? Ooh. Uh, I used to go to this place in um, in Oakland when I lived in the Bay Area. It's called Boot and Shoe Service because it took over the building of boot and shoe repair company called Boot and Shoe Service. Wow. And they kept the sign and the name um and it was just delicious delicious pizza i went there so much that sounds really good there's a there was a place in new york where i'm from uh called two boots pizza and that that was excellent so maybe there's something there (laughs) yeah there's something there related pizza shops (laughs) it's a secret that you only learn here that's right pizza shop aspiring owners looking for a name something Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so that was all the questions I had lined up was there anything you wish that I'd asked um no I mean this was a wonderful interview your questions were really thoughtful um thank you yeah i enjoyed talking with you likewise so yeah i guess in that case uh where can people keep track of your work when it is announced so um sweetbabyinc.com or following sweetbaby on twitter uh all my projects through them will be announced there um i'm also on twitter at Paula underscore bot bot. Um, my I, I'm not on Twitter very much. It's much easier to find me on Instagram, depending on your tolerance for pictures of cats and dogs. <laughs> um, and uh, my website is paulacreative.com. And my comic Blind Data, you can find that at blinddatacomic.com. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to have all those links in the description audience. Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Pixel Pizza. And we will see you next week. And I think next week we will be having our Sweet Baby Part 2. This is a two-parter. So very exciting. And That'll be a good one. Definitely stay tuned. <laughs> yes for sure so we're gonna end off with our final track from noisica our chiptune track and it is called moments of mild daydreaming i really like the titles that noisica has created for their songs uh yeah (laughs) anyway uh bye 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 pixel pizza
<laughs> okay. Yay, that was so much fun. Hi, this is Jared. Thanks for sticking around till the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed that song. So before we get going and I say see you next episode, first of all, thank you again gratefully for sticking around this long till the very end of the episode. And since you did, I'd love to ask you something. I'd love to ask you, audience members, if you could send me some constructive criticism, thoughts, feelings, However, your vibe into these episodes, I'd love to get a sense of what the audience thinks, where I can improve, how I can make the show a little bit more exciting, and keep moving forward, moving on, growing. So if you've got anything you'd like to share that's respectful, 
please send it on over to pixelpizza at yahoo.com. That's pixelpizza, the show name, at yahoo.com. So hope you do that. I might give you a little gift if you do, a little special prize for people who listen this long, since I'm not going to post about this anywhere, just for you listeners to do this. Thanks and see you next week. Bye-bye.